Hello team, it's Pam here from Alt Marketing School. I have a question for you right now and that is what would happen if you could market to hearts and not brains? What would you think would happen if you knew that you could make the world a better place with positive impact marketing but putting purpose and results first? If you want to find out, then come and join us for the Alt Marketing Certification. Our six-week digital bootcamp for professionals who want to do marketing differently and advance their career along the way. Join me and our six incredible teachers to learn how to advance your career with confidence by applying effective systems and frameworks to the latest trends. The next cohort is coming up soon, so I would love to have you join us. And all you have to do is apply to join at altmarketingschool.com slash learn. Go to altmarketingschool.com slash learn to apply for the next cohort of All Marketing School certification. Hello and welcome to Make an Impact Show, a podcast run by Creative Impact Co. Our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories via outstanding content. Hello, hello everyone, hello Emmy, welcome back. Hi Fab, how are you? I am good, I've been missing you, I've been doing all these intros by myself, there's nobody to talk to, there's only my my sloth, uh, like, money holder here, that's all I have. Well, I'm back, I'm back today and excited about this episode. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't think you know a lot about Kelly, so Kelly Notaris is going to be our gorgeous guest this week, but I can tell you already that we're going to talk about books and books publishing so we actually asked you this question before if you ever wanted to write a book and I know that you wanted to write a cookbook and I wanted to ask you in general though about writing how what is your writing style Amy what do you know about your writing and when do you write best because that's something we talk about today oh wow that so many questions I'm really excited <laughs> well you're back yeah. so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go for it <laughs> A cookbook is still a dream. One day, who knows? Um, I love writing. I don't know if I have, I mean, I must have a style, but I wouldn't be able to describe it. It's quite emotional, I guess. Um, I get quite passionate about things. Um, And as for my best times, it's probably first thing in the morning. Although the other night I was going to bed and I really wanted, I was writing something or was thinking about it. And so many ideas came to me just as I was going to sleep. And so that was a weird time for me to be productive. So I was like scribbling away <laughs> on my phone, making notes. Um, but I'm usually a, an early bird. I love that. Again, that's, that's what I was imagining as well, because I know you. So I kind of imagined that, you know, you would be more of an early bird. And it's really interesting, actually. I'm not going to spoil too much, but uh, Kelly Notaris was our guest. She actually talks about the three most common times that people actually you know would uh, take to write so like the best and most effective times for people and a couple of them might surprise you so that's going to be really interesting to talk about today you know what I got faith in your book I can see it's going to happen the cookbook mm-hmm. is going to get there it's just a matter of time as well and I would 110% recommend to listen back to the episode even if it's a cookbook or even if it's more of a fiction book, um, Kelly Notaris actually specializes in uh, non-fiction. And this is what her book is all about, which is about the book you are meant to write. Uh, however, I think there's a lot that you can actually apply to a lot of things. 
Kelly Notaras is actually not just an author, but she's also a speaker, a book editor and an entrepreneur. And she's been working with loads of different authors to actually help them realize the book dream. So it's really exciting to have her on. Amy, I really hope that this episode also inspires you a bit and into your writing journey. And I am so excited to have you back that literally all the interest has been about that pretty much. Uh, I'm equally as excited and yet really looking forward to listening back. Awesome. Well, guys, let's give it up for Kelly. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, gorgeous humans. And hello, gorgeous Kelly. How are you doing this morning for yourself? Exactly. I'm doing great this morning. I'm so happy to be talking to you. I am so flattered that you are ready at nine in the morning just for me <laughs> for a video chat. That is exactly <laughs> the makeup is on. <laughs> that is 100% commitment. And you know what? I don't know if you're like me. We're going to talk about books a lot today. So I am super excited. But I tend to be the person that if I have a great idea and I write in the morning, I tend to just kind of go straight to the writing sometimes in my fluffy, aka my robe, uh, mm-hmm. no makeup, no nothing. Maybe I wash my face and I just get into down into my zone. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm that kind of person that sometimes the strike is in and that's what I need to do. I'll sort out my face later. I'll sort out my meals later. I just need to get to the creativity zone. Hundred percent. I mean, I literally was late getting into the shower, getting ready for this because I was writing. <laughs> That's what I do basically every morning. <laughs> so you are a morning writer as well, would I you am. say? Yes, hundred oh. percent. No question about it. I am totally a morning person. When I was writing my book, I got up and went to the coffee shop. I was there when they opened at six in the morning, and I usually wrote until about nine, and then I would come back and start the day of running the business. But that morning time is is where my brain is functioning on all cylinders and. And after, you know, like two in the afternoon, I would not trust myself to write anything. <laughs> Actually, I have a question for you about that because I totally resonate with you. So I'm kind of like, that's the world, but it's not, I think. Mm-hmm. And obviously you work with other people and obviously yes. you, you've you been experiencing so many writers as well. Um, what do you find, what do you find is interesting when it comes to the different routines? Have you found that you had to adapt or maybe to support writers in a different way because maybe there were more night hours or in the afternoon? It's just interesting to see because I think we see it from our perspective a lot. Yes, definitely. I mean, I know that there are three times of day that most people will write in. So you'll, and generally speaking, there's one of these three times that will be your best. And one is early morning. One is late at night for those night owls, as you say. So people who sleep in until nine or 10 in the morning, they're going to start writing at nine or 10 at night and usually get in a couple really good hours at that point. But then the third one actually surprised me. I I first discovered this when I was doing a month long writing retreat with, um, you know, I think we had something like 20 writers who were writing an entire book in a month. And we were all sequestered in this beautiful hotel in Bali and they were writing all day. And we started to see when people, different people were on their, you know, were functioning really well. And the third time of day that really surprised me was four to 6 PM. 
And I know that sounds strange, but I'll tell you, I have actually had some success myself writing during that time. If I'm in a crunch, there's some way that you oftentimes get a second wind in late afternoon. And oftentimes people will have a little cup of tea or maybe a coffee at that hour, and it'll sort of keep them going until dinner time. So for the listeners out there who are trying to figure out when's the best time to write, I would try these three different times and see if any one of them really locks in for you. And you know what? You actually made such an excellent point. And I think what's interesting is that there's something that came up without any constrictions. You know, people were in Bali just, just loving life and doing their books. Yes. So obviously they could actually find the group without having to be adapting to real life. Yes, and exactly. That's, that's really interesting. And I'm kind of wondering, obviously this is speculating, but maybe part of that second wind is also because, as you say, naturally, maybe it's the tea, the coffee, but also the fact that thinking about people that work for themselves, like ourselves as well, a lot of us tend to maybe finish, you know, communications, work, talking to people around that time. And then you mm-hmm. have a couple of hours of buffer between actually finishing work and maybe time things over. And that mm-hmm. could be the time that you actually want to spend, you know, listening to what came up during the day, I guess. Yes. And you might actually feel more comfortable turning off the rest of your, you know, work life at that point, because you've put in basically a full day, because it's definitely, you know, a hard part, I think, for people who are busy, especially entrepreneurs, I found to set aside that time, because they they feel tethered to their email and their text and their slack. And so you do have to turn all of those things off. So one of the tips that I would give you as new writers is to get really familiar with your notifications notifications on your computer, on your phone, on your iPad, so that you know how to turn them off during writing time, because there's nothing that will derail you more. I mean, I can't even have my phone next to me when I write in the morning, because I will just all of a sudden I'll have this idea. Oh, I need to contact so-and-so today. And I'll just pick up the phone without even thinking about it. And the next thing you know, I am an hour later and I've gotten into everything happening with work. And so I really highly recommend you set aside that time and turn everything else off. That's kind of fascinating because there's actually science saying, coming from my book, funnily enough, um, that yeah. says that is around fifty, but you're fifty to sixty percent more likely still to be more distracted by just having this is extreme, but by just having your phone next to you on your desk, even if it is fully closed, you yes. know, you got to close, you got to put down. This is literally our brain works sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I reach for it and I don't even realize I'm reaching for it. So it's not necessarily um, the, the impulse is not coming from, oh, I got a ping and I have a text. It's actually I have a thought. Oh, I really need to do X, Y, Z. So I recommend keeping, uh, you know, post-it notes or a little, you know, notebook next to you when you're writing that you can write down all of those ideas. Because actually, it's funny enough, I have found with myself that really interesting things arise while I'm writing. It's almost like my mind has two tracks. One is writing and the other one is thinking in the background. And it's actually a creative well and things sort of arise out of it. And I want to take a note. It's the same thing when I'm meditating. I have a note next to me, which probably most meditation teachers wouldn't want you to, but I've gotten some really good information that way. And so I keep it there, but I don't have my phone nearby because if I have it there, it's an automatic impulse to pick it up. And that's kind of, again, not necessarily it does make me feel better, but it does validate (laughs) a bit that thing. Because sometimes you feel a bit like talking about morning, you know, morning early rises. Sometimes you feel you're alone in some of the the, the things you feel, some of the habits that you pick up. 
And um, I actually wrote an article months and months ago after I wrote my first book saying why you should stop idealizing the way that you're going to write your book. And that Mm -hmm. goes back (laughs) to your book now, a nice segue to actually the book you were born to write. So so to your own book. And I kind of wanted to ask you, so based on the fact that I personally discovered that definitely I wasn't going to, you know, write all of my books again in a retreat in Bali or in a beautiful (laughs) house in Spain. Um, I'm kind of wondering what was the premise for this book? Why did you think about writing it? And why do you think, bam, the world needs it so much right now? Why do you think right now is a time for these writers, especially in the self-help and non-fiction world to rise? What are you seeing? Because I think it's such a fascinating industry and space right now. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So when I was working in New York publishing, I remember there was a book that came out that was called The Long Tail. And it was basically an economic theory that said that over the course of time with the advent of the internet and the way you can buy basically anything that you want, it's we're going to start having this ultimate choice around who and where we get our information and then also our products in that case. And one of the things that I think has happened already with the advent of print-on-demand digital self-publishing is that now we can find exactly the author who resonates with us, exactly the person's life story that's like ours. We don't actually have to go to, for example, this is just an example, you know, 50, 60 years ago, most books were written by men. The vast majority, or I should say most books that were published were written by men. They've been women writing for, for eons. But most of the published books were written by men. So women who were looking for, let's say, self-help, personal growth, et cetera, we had to go to men. Now, if you would rather hear it from a woman who's walked in your shoes and in your body, et cetera, you can actually go and find that same information written by someone, your age group, your um, gender, your what, your gender identity, your sexuality, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find it now. And it's actually a beautiful way that we can feel met by books in a different way at a different level because there's so many more out there. So that's one of the reasons why I encourage anyone and everyone to get your voice out there. There is someone who will only hear the message from you. The truth is in the sort of world of self-help personal growth, we are all sort of, you know, saying the same thing (laughs) in a certain way. We're talking about how to be um, happier, how to be more in love with ourselves, how to set aside the criticism, how to stop looking outside of ourselves toward media, et cetera, to get our validation, but instead to really go within. All of these messages have been said many times before, but they haven't been said by you. And because we have these opportunities, the technological long tail is available. That means we can find just the right person who can say it to us in a way and who we can reach as an author that would not be reached by someone else's book. So you have a mission. I always say this, and I actually say this in the book, that if you have that book dream in your heart, you are someone's only hope. You are the one they need to hear it from. So you must write it. Well, sadly, now this is this is the end because this was so perfect. I don't know what else to ask you. So, guys, that was a great show. It's been nice. Bye now. Uh, damn it. Um, no, but I I love that. Give me a bit of goosebumps um, mm. because I think it really reframes the way that we look at the way as writers. We again, I'm going to put myself in there because I can call myself a writer. Mm-hmm. We share our story, and as you say, it breaks down through that definitely that objection that everybody has in their head, especially when they're new writers, especially when you're mm-hmm. approaching a book, which is 
you know, am I, am I reinventing the wheel? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But it's right. not about, as you say, it's not about that message. It's about how you are saying the message, the storytelling, the way that you're bringing it through yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and top up what you just said by asking you another question. Uh, yes. And <laughs> when it comes to this, it kind of almost follows through. And there's something you talk about in the book, which is obviously the element of the hooks. And mm-hmm. again, it's such a small thing. But I think it's such a powerful way to really make your book stand out. Because let's be honest, despite the fact that, you know, there's one person that might resonate with you a lot, you still are in a much more saturated market than it was before. Mm-hmm. And I think standing out is still different now, because thankfully, not everybody's looking at the big names. So everybody right. has a chance. But also, yes. I think this is where the concept of hooks, I think it's so important. And I think so overlooked when it comes to authors as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, so what I talk about in the book, and I talk about it pretty extensively, and I also talk about it with my clients every single day, is that you need to have what I you know, call a hook. It's That's the industry term in publishing, but it could be called an elevator pitch or a unique value proposition or a positioning statement. It's essentially the answer to the question, oh, I heard you're writing a book. What's your book about? And you say, oh, I'm writing a book about and then you finish that sentence. You would be shocked how many people don't know how to answer that question. They've already, let's say, paid for coaching, for book coaching, and they're ready to write their book, but they can't answer the question about what is the book about. And actually, that's a good time to work with a book coach because we can help you get into the right hook, one that has all the qualities that I outline in the book, which is essentially that it's narrowly tailored, meaning it really speaks to a specific audience. The truth is that especially as early stage authors, the more specific we can get around our audience, the more likely we are to find an audience because that will make us stand out from the big names, as we were talking about before, the people that everybody knows. But that person hasn't written a book that has these particular, you know, very important details that you need. And so that's the narrowly tailored piece. You're going for a smaller audience. Do not ever say, my book is for everybody. Because then you're in competition with people whose names are household names. Instead, I want you to choose a very specific audience that your book is for. So mine, for example, is for people writing transformational nonfiction. Yes, if you're writing fiction, you'll get something out of it. If you're writing a cookbook, you'll get something out of it or children's. But really, it's meant for people who are writing self-help, personal growth, inspirational memoir. That is what I'm looking for. And that's what I work with. And that's what people needed. There's not a book out there that's just for that group. And my book, you might say, well, you know, you've worked on every type of book and I have from fiction to, you know, memoir to all sorts of things. But the fact is that I wanted to reach an audience that wasn't yet being reached. So I focused the entire book on that nonfiction writer. So I want you to think about that. What is the audience that's not yet being reached within the category where there might be tons of books? Your bookshelf is probably going to be full, especially if you're writing this kind of book, right? But you can you can find that niche audience that's not actually yet being reached by a book. And that's what I want you to think about. So narrowly tailored, high concept. It means that you can answer what the book is about in one sentence. Oftentimes I'll say to an author, so what's your book? What book are you writing? And 20 minutes later, they still won't be sure. And I'm like, that's not going to get us anywhere. We have to sell this book to readers in we've got a split second to get grab their attention. So it has to be high concept, meaning they get it right away. And then we move on to things that are a little bit more fuzzy, like unique. So again, 
yes, I said that you need it to be unique and also that every book has already been written. I mean, this is the case, right? There's so much out there. So you need to figure out again, what's that angle? What's your niche audience? What's that one slice of the pie that hasn't yet been written in book form? Even though I want you to be working in a category that actually has readers. I want there to be books in your category. If there are not, that's a, that's a good sign that there aren't actually readers interested, which leads to the next one, which is saleable. I want the book to be saleable. And the way I know it's saleable is that there are other books that you can point to that are doing really well that have a similar audience to yours. Now, how do you find out if a book is doing really well? Inside the book business, there's something called BookScan or NPD um, that allows people to look up a particular title and find out how many books have sold. You don't have access to that. I don't even have access to that. So how do we find out? I say, go to Amazon and look at the books that are in your same category Don't look at their sales rank because sales rank is so volatile. Look at the number of reviews they have because people, only a small fraction of readers actually leave a review. So if you've got hundreds of reviews, that means that book is doing really well because that's maybe 1% of the total sales. So look at reviews on Amazon to find out if your category has saleable books and which ones they are and read them by the way, I do not want you to tell me that you're not going to read books in your category because you don't want to copy someone. I want you to read so many books in your category that you will never be accused of copying just one other book because you've read so many, you've been, you've received influence from all of these different authors. And then the last piece about the hook is that I want it to be magnetic. Now, magnetic is like, know it when you see it, you hear something, you're like, Ooh, that sounds great. I want to read that versus like, it kind of falls with a thud and you're like, well, Okay. I mean, I really like you and you're my friend, so I'll probably buy it, but I probably won't read it. Right. So you've, you've had that experience before and that magnetism often comes from bringing a topic that you're interested in into a new light. There's something brand new about it where you're like, Ooh, I love books about that topic, but I've never heard this particular take that brings up that magnetism. And I think that is to me, that really helps also with one of the elements that obviously you talk about, which is also finding that motivation and understanding that. And obviously, I mean, I am a massive advocate for succinct and to the point uh, hook or elevator pitch obviously depends on where you're working within or you want to call it. Um, and I think that's a great starting place, especially for people that are thinking, you know, is my idea it's not worth it, but is has my idea got the legs right now? Is this really mm-hmm. where should it lead? But I have another question on going into something else again that you also talk about in the book, but I think can be quite relevant, especially for people that maybe don't have yet an editor. They don't know if you will be able to have an editor or they don't know whether it's worth investing or who to go for. And I think it's a mix of writer's block, which like I would let's say I never had because I actually have too many ideas. But then (laughs) I've had the self-doubt or that sort of like perfectionism streak of like when is enough you know with the self the constant self-editing I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody will resonate with that and yes. I think there are different things obviously but I think that there must be a thread in there of little habits and little things that we do when we're writing our book that are preventing us from actually getting to the to the ending point whatever is not having ideas or having too many ideas or being too much of a perfectionist or being too like over judgmental about our writing so this is a massive question, obviously it's a whole thing, but I was kind of guessing what would be the one one tool or one thing that people can really do to keep themselves on track and be aware when sort of these patterns come up whilst they're writing their book. 
Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of different tools that I would recommend. The first one, just to answer your own personal issue of, of self-editing, is that I say put a moratorium on editing until you have a first draft. Absolutely zero editing. You're not even allowed to go back and reread because that is just a recipe for disaster and procrastination and also for self-judgment because we can so often look at our writing and say, I don't even know if this is good. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's terrible. And why am I even writing this book? And we end up down this rabbit hole of doom, I call it, <laughs> where we feel like we shouldn't even be writing this book. And so I actually have a bunch of tips in my book that are specifically about how to get the writing process going and keep it going. And this is one of the main points. Do not, do not, do not edit at all. You're only allowed to read the previous paragraph where you stopped the day before. So you know how to get into the flow, but you're not allowed to touch it with your cursor, <laughs> zero editing. So what that means is that when you're scheduling out your writing process, especially if you have a publication date, i.e. a deadline from a publisher, you need to leave yourself, you know, I usually suggest six to eight weeks for revising the draft. So you need to just bang out what you've got. Think of it as um, Anne Lamott is one of my favorite writers on writing. She has a book called Bird by Bird. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And she talks about writing a shitty first draft. That is all you're doing when you sit down to write your book. You're sitting down to write a shitty first draft. And then you've given yourself six to eight weeks to turn that shitty first draft into a polished draft that you can then send to your editor. So keeping that in mind, the other, the other uh, tool I'd like to give you right now is to really think about setting a writing schedule for yourself. So this is even with, if you're self-publishing, ask yourself really, truly, how many hours do I have to devote to this in a week? And then schedule them into the calendar where you schedule your actually important things that you actually do and you don't not do. <laughs> and put this in there and hold it with that kind of importance. So make sure that every week you have writing time scheduled into your calendar and you actually set yourself up well to keep it. So as we were talking about at the very beginning, really which time of day is best for you to write. Do some research, check it out, right? At all three of these times that I was talking about, maybe right at other times and see which ones work best for you and then make them a calendar date that you are committed to keeping. And then again, as I said, I've got tons of other tips uh, in the um, just write it <laughs> chapter in my book. So um, feel free to look there. And, you know, there's other places that I am on the web as well, where I give a lot of advice for how to get to completion just love the title of the section just just write it that's probably yeah. made me laugh I was like yep yep got it yeah I've been, I've been there yeah. and you know what I also find that um and obviously this is kind of like another thing that I wanted to mention um of you talk in a book about different elements there is uh going the self-publisher or maybe going like with a publication as well I wanted to ask you like this is a quick fire one if you were thinking about one thing that self-publish authors can do to keep themselves a bit more accountable would you say that is that appointment is that enough not saying that is enough but you know what I mean just setting that appointment in the calendar is that the best thing do you find them maybe having again a coach or a buddy just to see because I think it is even easier when you can create that little support system for yourself 
Yes, I would say set a meaningful deadline. And by meaningful, I mean that something bad is going to happen actually outside of your own control if you don't reach it. So for example, that might be that you have announced to a group of people that you're going to have a book launch party on this date and you want them to put it in their calendar, even if that's next year, so that you ha- you would have to reach out to all of those people and say, I, I missed my deadline and wasn't actually able to publish the book when I thought I was going to. Um, give yourself a lot of padding because the self publishing process can have all sorts of um, bumps in the road, but you're basically saying, I am going to have to let everybody know that I failed. Maybe even book the venue in advance, pay for the venue in advance. These are ways in which you will have a meaningful deadline that you're going to lose out on something if you don't reach it. So that's a one big one. And the second is exactly, as you said, social accountability. So that's either having a writing group that knows your deadline and is keeping you accountable, or, you know, I don't know about you, but I am somebody who loves one-on-one attention <laughs> And so having a book coach that is there with you, who's expecting to see your pages at the end of the week, who you can contact when you, and you actually are required to contact when you don't do the writing you were supposed to be doing that week. And maybe you have to check in via text with that, that coach when you finish your writing time each day. So it keeps you accountable. I'll say one more thing before we go. A girlfriend of mine has a a Facebook group and she actually made an agreement to all of the people in her Facebook group that she, and it's, it's her own Facebook group. She's sort of like the leader of it. She said, I'm going to show up here on Facebook live every morning for the next three weeks to finish my book. I will be here from this hour to this hour and you will see me here writing. And she did it. And that's how she finished her book. So again, it's a meaningful deadline that other people are aware of that social accountability is gold. I love that. That's such a great, that's a great example. And also, again, definitely takes that commitment as well. Yes. Um, I want to ask you the, the super quick fire one before I ask you the last question. Sorry, I just want to say, yeah. uh, book lover from, from a book lover to a book lover. Yes. What is the book that you have gifted the most and why to people? That I've gifted the most? Yeah, because I'm sure oh, you have gifted it. I've gifted so many books. You know, it's probably one of my dear friends wrote a memoir that I think is one of the best books I've ever read. It's called Caravan of No Despair. And the author is Mirabai Starr. And that book is one that if someone needs to have an emotional experience, I say, just read this book. And it's gorgeously written and evocative. And it's, you know, because she's a friend of mine, I want to get the word of mouth going. So I have, I always have a stack of four or five of them on my shelf (laughs) to hand out when somebody comes over and just say, Hey, you need to read this book. Love that. That's amazing. Well, I wrote it down. It's going to be also in the show notes for anyone. Now, the last question before I let us depart, which you might know of the hardest one that we ask everyone, Hmm. if you had to have brunch with anyone dead or alive, who would this person be? I would definitely have brunch with my great grandmother on my father's side. So I am half Greek and this woman, I've seen pictures of her and she just seems so alive and vibrant and also in such a different world than me, you know, having lived in a small village her whole life, never having left the island where she was born. She was born there. She raised many children there. I think she had um, five or six children and then she died there. And I want to know what that was like. I live in such a different worldview and I'm constantly traveling and I, you know, I'm, I'm really working to find what I feel like is home. And this is a woman who had nothing but home in her life and 
perhaps was, I'm guessing, illiterate, never read a book. And so it'd be really interesting to talk to somebody about like, this is my whole life. This is my career. And it's something that's so different from hers. I just, I would really cherish that opportunity. I think, I'm, I think that could be such a great, and you know what it made me think about as well, like sharing storytelling experiences in a different way, from a different mm-hmm. level, from different mediums. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Boyd, I'm sure she had many, many stories. And there was such an oral tradition of storytelling in her culture that, yes, I agree. I would love to hear her stories. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for the prompt reply as well. And Nowsies, if people want to find out more about you, obviously, tell us a bit more about the book. They can find it also in the show notes. But is there anywhere they should go to share the love? Yes, absolutely. So I have a company called KN, that's my initials, Literary Arts. And you can just Google KN Literary and you'll find our website. It's knliterary.com. But I also have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash KN Literary. And that's where I really share, I think, the gold information. And it's all for free that you asked me earlier why I wrote the book. And it was really because so many people want to know about writing a book. They want to understand what the steps are, but they're not prepared to make an investment to work with an editor one-on-one to learn them. And I totally understand that. So I've got the YouTube channel, which is free. And then I have the book, which is, you know, $15 in US. And so that it's sort of like different places you can get um, the information at a low barrier to entry. So youtube.com forward slash KN literary. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time. It was lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Fab. It's been fun. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode. If you loved it, please take some time to give us five stars on iTunes. And make sure that you let us know your ha-has and takeaways on Instagram at creativeimpactco. Also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group. <laughs>